Undoubtedly, there's been a season or two or more in your lives, your life, where you've done something just to endure it, just to get through it for the sake of finishing or completing whatever you were responsible for. One of those things in my life happened in 1989. Wichita State University enrolled in a class called Games Nations Play. Political science class, if you're a political science major and that's in your background, I hope you don't get offended by what I'm about to say, but I could not stand that class. It was the worst of all time. After my second day, uh, in the Monday, Wednesday, Friday setting, I quickly realized this is going to be a grind. But I knew I had to get through it because it was one of those electives. And while I thought, remembering back that it was a 400-level class, I actually went to the catalog, Wichita State, 1989. It was actually an introductory level class, 100. And so that made it even worse in remembering how poorly I did in there. I did achieve a C uh, somehow, some way, and was glad to finish that. You can completely relate. There are some things that we walk through in our lives, some seasons, some tasks, whether they be from work or school, or at home, whatever the project, size, length of time it takes for us to get through it, we endure it for the sake of getting through it to be able to move to the next level of whatever it is. Whether we recognized the season or time before we entered it or not, it was very difficult and challenging. So in the passage we're going to look at today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses one through nine, Paul was describing to Timothy one of these areas, one of this heart encouragement, continue enduring for the sake of the gospel, because there are difficult, terrible, as phrased, times in the days ahead, not just in the current season of ministry that you're experiencing. And so he encouraged Paul in that. And as we look through this section of Scripture in particular this morning, we too hopefully will be encouraged and recognize that not only are we to to see what the times are or to recognize the time that we're living in and the times that are coming, but also that we know how to respond in the midst of it in truth. Before we begin reading our passage, however, let's pray this morning. So God, we thank you that you give us as your followers the desire of our hearts to cling to the old rugged cross, to cling to you, realizing and recognizing were it not for you, we would be without hope. But with you, not only can we embrace hope, because of knowing the hope giver, you, but that we can hold that out to the lost around us in spite of where they are. God, this morning we pray that you would help us as we look through this passage in particular to not only see these times, but that this would aid us in knowing how to respond with the truth. We're trusting you for that. We love you. Amen. All right, let's begin by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, the entirety of it, and then we'll go back and, and dissect it verse by verse. But understand this, that in the last days there will be terrible 
times come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Another version, weak-willed women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Paul begins by speaking to Timothy, reminding him or telling him to understand to know the times you are in, to look around, to be conscious, to be aware of not only what was happening, but what was coming in the days ahead. Paul, of course, fully understanding, shepherding this group of people, as we've talked about in recent weeks in this message, knowing there were some false teachers who had infiltrated the church with whom he was removing, taking care of, trying to address with the truth, some of whom responded, some of who did not respond well, and who continued to stir up this issue uh, for Timothy in his own setting. He also realized that there were some, many within his congregation, the ones he was responsible for, who were holding closely to the truth, continuing to love God, continuing to persevere in the midst of what they were experiencing and seeing, not to mention what was taking place outside of the church, those who were opposed to or against the gospel or against Timothy as he began to express continually with them the truth of who God was and the word with them. Then not only does he say understand the times, but realize that in the midst of that, it will be difficult. It will be increasingly grow this hatred towards, this frustration, this negativity towards the church and towards anyone who holds closely to uh, Jesus. He needed to understand that there were times when he would feel as if he were standing alone. You can relate. Walking into work, your neighborhoods, your schools, you understand that there are times when it seems as if You are the only one or your family is the only light in the direct neighborhood or area with where you live. And honestly, that is probably more true than we realize. As the gospel continues to go forth and as people hear, some, of course, will respond. As we uh, think of the narrow road once again. Following Christ is is a narrow road, a narrow way. The world is a broad way. And so the majority of those will go along the easy way, the broad road, and will reject Christ. But for those of us 
who are standing firm, holding to Jesus, our road is narrow. And at times, if not consistently in our lives, we realize it is very possible in our direct neighborhood, work setting, whatever it is, that uh, we are the one who is holding out the light and life and truth to those who are lost. And at times, that's difficult because we receive not only criticism, but persecution in many respects, not to the extent that we've seen around the world in other countries where people have lost their lives, but we do receive that disdain from those around us. It's part of following Jesus. Paul continues in verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. It's interesting in this how Paul started with this concept of what people will love first. Now, it's not a description of the 1 Corinthians 13 love that we see, of an individual's love for Christ or how we're to love people. It's not characteristic of Galatians 5, to 23, love being a fruit of the Spirit. The love that we see here that Paul identified, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Is that characteristic of our society? Think of the ways that The enemy, the devil, deceives so many, especially in the area, beginning with people be lovers of self. We think of phones, what's taken place with the 29 and unders, not to be critical of that group because they're passionate and love for Christ, those who know him. But for many who are within that age range, what is happening with cell phones? How many pictures of themselves are taken in the course of a day? Now, that goes along with social media and posting on Snapchat and Instagram and all of the other things. But think of how that can be quickly twisted for those who don't recognize it for what it is. How they can become lovers of themselves because the phone is constantly right here. That's not a criticism of us posting pictures of ourselves or our families. It is just the reality if we don't see it for what it is. The enemy is capturing, in many respects... Younger generations, in particular, of being consumed so much with self. Got to get the perfect picture. Got to get the perfect image. Got to make sure that it's out there so people see who I want to be, whether I'm that person or not. It's gotten a lot of people in trouble. We also see lovers of money. Everything that is categorized by the checkbook or or, uh, by the way money is spent is focused on the individual, the person, instead of looking at the broader range driving down an exit ramp, seeing someone in need, not discerning, God, do I need to be able to give something to this individual or are you not calling me to in this setting? Seeing a need of someone with whom we're close to, a real identified need, and not even considering for a moment that God may use us to bless that person's life to meet whatever need it is because they can't meet it on their own. Shared this about A year and a half ago when I first started, when I was in seminary, uh, 1998, I went to school in southwestern Fort Worth, Texas. Having difficulty finding a job, Sam's finally came through, uh, the glorious life that was Sam's Club. And in the midst of that, I got to December, that critical month, 
and didn't have enough. I was working hard. I was going to class, meeting needs as much as possible, but the money ran out. And I talked with my folks, and they weren't in a position to help. And I thought, okay, Lord, this is fully on you. I need your help. You've called me to seminary. You've called me to the school. I can't meet my bill. What do I do? So my parents, in encouraging me, praying for me, shared with a friend at church, how's Darren doing? Karen Mosier, who has now gone to be with the Lord, asked. Well, he's, he's doing fine. No, really, how, how is he doing? What does he need? Anything? Well, he's having difficulty meeting his bills. We're not in a position to help him right now. So, no kidding, three days later, I get a check in the mail, $1,000. Didn't ask for it. Wasn't pleading. Wasn't trying to get my parents to go make some moves for me so I could be able to take care of my business. It was an individual responding to the Lord, meeting a need in my life, Karen Mosier. Think about the gratitude that I had for that woman who had known me since I was in the third grade, who met a need. You too, at times, probably have either had a need met by a family member or someone else, or you've met someone else's need. And as a result, God has blessed your life and that individual. See, people who are lovers of money can never consider others. Everything is focused on themselves, their lives, making sure that they are being taken care of, never considering those around them. You know, there have been many times within this church family in the last year and a half where a need has been expressed, in particular in a Sunday school class. And that class has done what? Ignored it? Run away from it? Expressed apology? Sorry. No. That class has done what? They have met the direct need of the individual or family. Amazing love of God. Refusing to consider self first, identifying. See, that's the opposite of a lover of money. Many of you have participated in that within your classes, meeting the need of someone else. So these individuals in this last time, these last days, lovers of self, lovers of money, and then we see this having an appearance of godliness, loving pleasure rather than being a lover of of God. And this appearance of godliness are those who come and they have the religious exterior, even holding out to a point maybe where they show themselves to be deeply in love and passionate about the Lord, deeply in love and passionate about the things of God. But the exterior, as is a whitewashed tomb, as Jesus were to say about the Pharisees, that if the inside really were shown or visible to everyone who would see, they would see really the exact opposite inside of the life of the one who is making these great claims. Now, typically those over time can be identified in that way. Those who refuse to repent, who refuse to run to the Lord, place him first, always embracing pleasure, not embracing Christ, showing themselves in one way, denying the power of God. So you begin to talk with the person that's in that position, asking some of the in-depth pieces of their lives. What is God doing in your life right now? Where are you reading? 
How is the word impacting the way that you're actually living your life out? How are you drawing closer to Jesus? How is that evidenced in who you are? So as you begin to ask those questions, if they'll give you the time of day to do so, you begin to recognize and realize a very high level of shallowness, that there really isn't much depth relationally to that individual in relationship to the Lord. And really, there's not even a desire for a deeper relationship. And so what do we do with that when we begin to dialogue with individuals? Do we bring the hammer and nail them through the wall? Or do we provide encouragement, love, support? Do we just respond with, I understand the time. I recognize what's happening in your life. Or do we go the one step further, speaking the truth and love in their life? encouraging them and building them up, utilizing the word to do one of the things that it's meant to do, to draw us closer relationally to Jesus. In all of these things that are listed, 18 actually, characteristics, many more could have been included in this list. Paul tells Timothy to do what? Avoid such people. You know, some of the things that are listed in there, in in those verses, pretty negative. Actually, all that's included within there are, but some considered to be heinous in many respects. Interesting in the midst of that that you'll find the phrase disobedient to their parents. As a 15-year-old, after surrendering my life to Jesus and reading this and memorizing these verses soon after, what is the one portion, phrase, word in the list that stuck out to me as a kid. Disobedient to parents. You know as well as I do, the family, marriage, is under attack in our society more than ever before in my lifetime, the last 10 years in particular. Now, this is a series of messages all on its own that we won't get into today. But understanding and recognizing the times that Marriage, the family, children is under great attack. And that one of the things included in Paul speaking to Timothy directly is to be conscious and aware of those who are consistently disobedient to their parents. It's a hard line. We're to hold truth out. We're to, as parents, if you are a parent, regardless of age and stage, you know, until they're, uh, while they're living in our home, we parent by permission, or parent by, uh, parent by position. When they're out of our home, we parent by permission. Um, once they leave, that is the goal for, for our kids to be able to effectively walk through life. But when considering this, not wanting to, especially dads, overwhelm your kids because you're so hard, but at the same point holding the line, it's difficult. Uh, dads, you can relate. There are times when our words fairly harsh. Moms, same. Uncharacteristically so in moments when the stress and pressure builds up, not recognizing that what's really happening here is not this conflict that I'm having with my child. It's spiritual warfare that's taking place within my home. It's the same in marriage. At times, our daggers point towards the individual in front of us, thinking that that individual is the one 
whom's attacking us and whom we, as a result, in return, are attacking as well. But if we were just to step back for a moment to understand the time, to understand the enemy and spiritual warfare, I believe we would walk towards this possibly in a different way. Realizing the person standing in front of us is not our enemy. They are the ones with whom God has given us in our lives to be the closest to. And in those moments when we're struggling in the middle of it, there are times when the Holy Spirit of God speaks directly to our hearts, and we do recognize and realize there are times that we refuse to listen and recognize the truth, which should result in our asking forgiveness repenting of the individual, and making it right, whether they do with us or not. Because we realize, relationally, that person is valued and created by God as well. Now, we all struggle with the flesh. We all wrestle, every one of us. And so to get to the point where we have to avoid people, what's talking about there is their lack of willingness over a period of time to repent and recognize the truth in their own lives. There are points when we have to break off contact with whoever it is. We have a middle schooler and we have a high schooler in our home. There are times when those influences of their friends become so negative or so overwhelming or so overweighted that we as parents encourage our kids, at least for a season of time, break off contact. Don't spend time there because they're destroying, you're allowing them to destroy your heart and your life. And it's not worth it. God has better for you. There are times as adults when we have relationships with people that even after a series of intense prayer, a time period of whatever it is that those influences, that refusal, God will release us from feeling full responsibility for. And at that moment, we're to be obedient and let those people go. There are times, though, when we need to continue suffering for them. Verse 6, for among them, as he's talking about this ungodliness, are those who creep into households and capture weak women. When I think of the word uh, creep, I think of sneaking up on someone, sitting on a couch in my house when they're watching something, and yelling, boo, scaring them. I think creeping up, and then you take them off guard. So these who were false teachers, these who were consumed with self, who were not lovers of God, who had this appearance, creep up, sneak up on the unsuspecting. And we've seen this over and over and over again in the church. Pastoral leadership, that those who have done this, not just weak-willed women, weak-willed people, have snuck up crept up and taken advantage of individuals for their own gain. Some of those no longer in ministry, some who continue to, to remain in ministry and continue to take advantage of people. Some are so focused on their own gain, their own benefit, that they are actually a huge danger to the kingdom and a danger to followers of Jesus. If we are unaware of the times, if we are unaware of the truth, we too could become susceptible to being taken advantage of in that way. We have to proceed with caution. There are some who love that position of power and authority. Now one day, as we know, the word tells us, they will face the Lord. 
And in the midst of that, they, along with false teachers who are teaching and preaching a false gospel, millions of people deceived, will have to answer to the Lord for doing so. Whether they personally have a relationship with Jesus or they just have a form of godliness and deny its power, that day is coming for all, a day of reckoning. The wake, though, the damage being done, the challenges. Then we see an example that Paul gives, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. If you remember in uh, these moments where uh, with Moses there were these who uh, were magicians and they said uh, that we can produce this power and, and Moses was saying, well, God is bigger and God is stronger and they went to battle with one another and of course God showed up did an amazing thing, and so these who opposed Moses, who opposed God, were shown to be false in their life, their magic. Whatever they pursued in life, it showed itself when God responded. Men corrupted and disqualified regarding the faith, they will not get very far, just as those two did not for their folly will be plain to all, as was those two men. Eventually those who have a form of godliness but deny its power, these false teachers, these individuals who take advantage of these people will be shown for who they are, whether on this planet or before the Lord one day ultimately. Warren Wearsby said, there are three tenets Worship God, love people, use things. But if we worship ourselves, we ignore God, we start loving things, and we use people. God help us to never be in that position. Our ultimate call, love God, love people. This is the resounding theme of Paul to Timothy, also in John chapter 8, calling out this extreme love. Matthew chapter 22, verses 30 through 30. Matthew chapter, ugh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus reminding, love God, love people. Then we see in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who has sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, abide 
rest, spend time with, memorize, invest in. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, not just that you will know the times, but you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It will set you free. Free from what? Free from fear? Because you're the only one standing for Christ where you are? Free from this being chained to sin in this world? The love parameter being mixed up and switched? Falling so deeply in love with Jesus, our first love? Unlike the church in Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 3, who had lost their first love? We will know the truth and it will set us free. Free to be who God has called us to be and to hold out the kingdom and the gospel. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you, you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the household forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How many of you, have been set free. Every person who has surrendered their life to Jesus has been set free. Do we live in freedom to speak the truth in love in response to this world who screams otherwise that Christ is it? He is the only place you're going to find life. He's the only place you're going to find hope. Security. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Why aren't we living in freedom? I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. And listen, as you speak truth in this world, the further into it that we get, there won't be people that probably want to physically kill you, maybe. But their words and their heart and their hatred scream otherwise. We should expect it. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Let's wrap it up. We are told to hold out hope regardless of the times that we are in. Our hope, of course, is firmly fixed in Christ. Not only do we easily recognize just by the list that we are approaching if we are not already in the last days. Godlessness is rampant. Faithlessness is visible. We are called to be faithful. With Christ's leadership in our lives and our relationship with him, we have to remember we are free and in our freedom as we walk, we can make a difference for the kingdom because of the way Christ has empowered us, and is moving in and through us. Will we allow him to do that? As you know, if you've been with us, possibly you haven't, the way we've ended all these messages is the same way we're going to end today. There is a paraphrased version of the New Testament called the message. I believe it brings to light words and concepts differently than the ESV, which I, I love and will help us. So let's read that and then we'll pray. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 9. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, 
money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage beasts, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, holy moly, I hope that's not us, addicted to lust, and allergic to God. Allergic. What picture does that bring to your mind? They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Steer clear. Stay clear of these people. These are the kind of people who smooth-talk themselves into the homes of unstable and needy women and take advantage of them. Women who, depressed by their sinfulness, take up with every new religious fad that calls itself truth. My goodness, that's a picture of our world. They get exploited every time and never really learn, men and women. These men are like those old Egyptian frauds, Janus and Jambres, who challenged Moses. They were rejects from the faith, twisted in their thinking, defying truth itself. But nothing will come of these latest imposters. Everyone will see through them, just as people saw through that Egyptian hoax. May God too show us. Let's pray.